first, just before we get started, I want us just to, to think about some things. Um, there are so many things in life where we may see the shadow of it, but it really alters or dictates the way that we view the substance of it, right? So like maybe you had an experience as a kid, I don't know, let's say it was the high dive, okay? Or let's say it's a low dive, this, we'll say it's a low dive, and you were just deathly afraid of low dive, and you grow up, and then it's just that high dive, which is even worse, it's like a thousand times worse. You see, like it's kind of that, that parallel with, with that shadow that it has. And so the same thing is with dads, I think. I think many of us have views in our head, or we have been informed in ways or experienced ways that we view dads and that they affect our view of God. So the first thing I want to do is I want to uh, to show a few pictures of a couple dads. Maybe your your view of dad is somebody like this. Oh, uh-huh. maybe it is Tim the Toolman Taylor. You know, that's what you think. Your dad's just yeah, power tools, more power. You know, and it's just grunting and building cars from the ground up, and you know all that good stuff. Or maybe it's somebody a little bit different. You know, maybe it's like Al Bundy off of Married with Children. Um, let's go to the next one. Maybe your view of, of a dad is more like old Andy. Right, Tony? Just old Andy. Just a good old boy, you know, just living in a small town and just kind to everybody. You got his good manners. And just look at that face, man. Just look at it. Or maybe your view of dad is somebody like... Jack Arnold, if y'all remember a show called The Wonder Years, this was your typical blue-collar dad, works the office job in the factory, comes home, he's just ready to eat his dinner and watch his TV, go to bed, do the same thing the next day. That's his life. He doesn't want any interruptions with that. Maybe that was more like your view of God or dad. The next one, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's good old John Goodman from Roseanne. Maybe that's how you think of, of dad. And I've got one last one. Maybe it's just good old Homer Simpson. You know, works in his nuclear plant, just enjoys a good donut. Man, I'm pretty sure everybody in here enjoyed a good donut today, didn't they? Yeah. Why don't y'all give the smokers a round of applause, please? But regardless of all the humor and all the funniness in that, those types of figures, I think, in a lot of ways, when we grow up, we see them and we kind of, we view dads that way. Or maybe it's really more our experience. We have our own experience with dads, good or bad, and that tends to affect the way that we view God. And we know that it does that because we know that the fatherhood of God, that aspect of it is such a huge part of his identity, is it, is it not? Uh, uh, I mean, how did Jesus say to pray? What are the first words? Our Father. That's how he told us to pray. And so oftentimes when we have Father's Day and we go to church and we have a good message Oftentimes, many times, we just we hear the good stuff, don't we? We hear the, the great stories of great dads and great kids. But oftentimes, and that I have felt, based on my own experience, I've felt neglected from hearing about, what about the bad ones? What about the bad dads? And so part of my experience that I will get into is, I had such a wall, such, such a blockade between me and God, um, for me to really view him the way I should growing up because my dad died when I was 10. And so from then on, from 10 years old until till 15, for five years, I really struggled with the goodness of God. I really struggled with this whole idea that, well, yeah, I mean, I know God exists. 
I know he exists, but is he really good? And I remember one night, you know, after just years of just anger, after years of just resentment towards God, because I just didn't understand that. I didn't have a good, a good view of suffering and God's goodness. Um, I, I, I was really on the verge of atheism. And I said this to God. I said this to God. I said, um, God, sometimes you make it so hard to believe in you. That's what I said. And it was the next day, let me tell you, God showed up. And it was in, you know, big, big waves crushing all my idols and just broke me. And, I'm t- and y'all know how I am about emotions. I'm not a very emotional person, am I? Uh, for the most part, like, you know, tears and, you know, too touchy-touchy kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit there. Um, makes me feel really awkward. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling you, this time I cried like a baby. Okay, it was that time you just meet with God for the first time I tasted and saw that he was good. But I had so much that blocked that, so much that prevented that based on my own anger and resentment towards God because of losing my dad. Some of you here today, you have such a wall up right now. Like you walked in here with a wall up because you have such a bad experience with your dad or stepdads or whatever. Your mom's boyfriends, whatever. You've been abused, you've been neglected, you've been abandoned. And if you've been there, and I'm going to read, I had a, I posted a thing on Facebook this week about, you know, if you've had a bad dad or no dad, what were some obstacles to that? And I got several responses to that and got some really good stuff. And I want to read some of those to you. Um, but if you're here and you grew up and you were uh, by a male father figure or by your dad or stepdad, whatever, and you were abused and you were neglected, if you were emotionally abused, mentally abused, sexually abused, I just want to tell you right from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. I am so sorry that you had to endure that. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. Because that is not what you were created for. And that is not how the man is supposed to be. That is not how God has created fathers. It is not. And so I just want to sincerely apologize to you for that. And so next, I just want to read a couple stories. And I'm not going to give you any names. Uh, this is a, uh, somebody who just graduated over here. And she said, my biggest struggle with not having my dad was not feeling like I was enough for him to stick around. It made me feel like his addiction was more important than me. Some of you might be able to resonate with that. Another person over, goes to high school over here. I was in fifth grade, and if I remember correctly, my dad was an alcoholic. All he would do was come home, drink beer, play on his tablet until he went to bed. Sometimes he wouldn't even eat. And when I was little, I wanted to be a football player. And he would tell me that I wasn't good enough. And it was sophomore year of high school, and I wanted to go to the Marines. And he told me that that was nothing but suicide. I always looked at my grandfather as my father for the fact being that mine was an alcoholic and I just couldn't trust him. I got another response, and she said, For me, having a bad dad or no dad uh, growing up was the hardest thing. The hardest thing was to recognize and still is God's love, since I never had love for my father. And this is somebody um, in our youth group who many of you helped support to go to camp this summer. And this is what she said. Interesting question. I definitely have a history of both. My biological father wasn't even married to my mom when I was born, and they were both married to different people. Through my birth, both came to know Christ again, though which is amazing to be able to share that as part of my testimony. All throughout my life, I had went without knowing who my father truly was and was introduced to man after man claiming to be my new father. 
The first man abused me in every single way possible known to man, even sexually. There's even a moment I remember when he called me into his room as he was sitting down watching TV and he kicked me as hard as possible in my lower stomach region. And because of that, I may never, ever be able to have kids because of the impact. I endured his wrath until the age of seven, seven years old. But shortly after my mom married a man for only a year, he was very abusive emotionally and mentally. He neglected me and was a raging alcoholic and even pulled a gun out on my mom. I basically raised myself for that entire year. She finally divorced him and married my wonderful father that I love and cherish now. She goes on to say she had some issues um, there that God began to redeem. Um, But this was really her response to all that. This was her response. It's been good. and um, Sorry, let me go down a little bit. Even though I've had struggles, most haven't because of the sad situation God is, that I've been in. God has been able to keep my heart pure and bigger than most. He's protected my empathy and my ability to care for others and see the best in everyone. He has blessed me with an enormous amount of love for people, even those who've hurt me. And I'm very thankful for his greatness and that he cares so much about me. He went to the extent to do something so insignificant compared to what he is. And it's amazing. This is reality. And so I don't want to shy away either from from some of you who are just great dads and y'all are loving your children well and I want to honor you for that and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that you're sticking it out in your marriage. I want to thank you that you're sticking it out with your kids even though you have all these things going on but that you are pursuing their hearts and you are raising them how God has called you to. But I also want us to really focus on some today of the reality that most children have. Most children will go to bed tonight without a father in their home. That's just stats. Most will. There's so many statistics that even go like just what happens. Like I think it's like uh, 75 plus percent of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. I think like 90 percent of high school dropout rates are from fatherless homes. And it just goes, the list goes on and on and on. And so I would even be willing to argue that there's not anything more important to society itself than a dad, than a father. Somebody who will be there. Somebody who will go to their games. Somebody who will celebrate with them when they get a a B plus on their test that they studied all week for. It's a need. And so with all of that, I want to go to one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible with us, turn there. We're going to be in uh, verse 11. And really focus all the way to 24. We'll mention a couple things at the end. Um, But just first thing, so so that we know the context here. um, Jesus has been going around and he's been hanging out with sinners. And y'all know his reputation for that. And he got all these Pharisees and Sadducees and all the religious people who are all up in arms about it. They're not too happy about it. Okay, and he gives several parables. He does the parable of the lost sheep. And basically he's like, hey, any idiot knows if you lose a sheep, you're going to go after it, right? Let's think about a dog, okay? All right, pets, we have an idol of pets. I love my dog, but if there's one thing in America that's an idol, it's pets. I'm telling you, like, we treat them like kids. I saw somebody on Facebook a while back calling their, it was their son uh, got some dogs, and she called those dogs her grand pups. All right, I'm sorry. I like dogs, but I draw the line there. Grand pups. But with all that, 
we see this, this deep, profound, like if you lose your dog, you're going to go get it. You're going to look for it. You're going to post on Facebook, be like, hey, have you seen my dog? You're probably going to print some flyers out. And so that's what Jesus is basically going to say. Hey, when you have somebody that's lost, you're going to go after them. And then he goes on and tells a story about money. Man, if we lose our money, we're going after it. Let me do a little test real quick. Everybody grab their car keys and raise them up. All right, some of you just said, oh, crap. Some of you did. Because you're like, they're not in that pocket. Okay, they're in this other pocket. All right, if you lose your car keys, you are going after them. You're going to stop everything you do and go after them. Recently, I lost my car keys, and we were having a staff meeting in Knoxville, and I was late and frustrated and mad, and uh, sure enough, found them at the bottom of the trash can covered in coffee grounds. So I guess that's just God's sense of humor on me with the whole coffee thing, but... Um, when you lose something like that, you go after it. So he tells this parable about money. It says, when the woman lost her coin, she swept the house, she moved stuff, she, she finally found it, and then she celebrated with everybody. Okay? And the whole issue, the reason why he told those parables was to bring it back to this one. One of the greatest parables in the Bible. So let's just um, begin. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the first thing we see here is that the son demands his inheritance. All right. We all know in here about inheritance that you get an inheritance from your, your grandparent, your parent, whatever, when they die, correct? It's after death. But he's saying, hey, I want it now. So essentially what he's saying to his dad is, hey, I would just be better off if you were dead. I would just be so much better off if you were dead and I could just have what's mine. Even good dads are treated poorly by sinful children. Some of you here today and you're tired, you're wore out, and you're at the end of your rope because of your kids. Your kids have abused you. Your kids have neglected you. And your kids are mean to you. And you just tr- struggle and try and try. And you love them and you pursue them so hard. And you wonder, where, where did we go wrong? What did I do? And you sit all the time just trying to think of what you did wrong. But I need to tell you something. Look, at this, this is a great father. And you'll begin to see that through the rest of this story. Even good parents are sinned against by sinful children. So the father divides his property. He divided his property between them. And the Greek word used here basically literally means he divided his life. So he divides his life to the son. The oldest son in the Jewish culture would receive legal claim uh, to his inheritance already, which is double the younger son, but he wasn't exercising it, as we'll see at the end of the passage. So he was staying there. He was doing things right, but if he wanted it, he could have taken it but he does not exercise ownership of it. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So within days, within days of just getting, oh, I got what's mine. This is what's mine. This is what I care about. Within days of that, he packs his bag and he heads off into a far country. And there he squanders his property. In other words, he sows his wild oats, doesn't he? He takes what's his and he follows his own dreams, his own desires. 
Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So already right here we see the pride. Like he's not even, he's so prideful at this point, he's not going home. But he goes and hires himself to a foreigner, to a pagan. And after spending everything, the the famine draws him in great need that leads him to do this. This, for a Jew, was one of the most shameful things that you could do. And as we'll see, it even gets worse. It gets worse. He works with the pigs who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. All right, I love me some bacon, okay? Bacon and sausage and hot dogs and whatever else they make with just the remnants of it. And I know Blake's up there throwing up right now. Um, But to a Jew, there was nothing more unclean than a pig. It was just gross. I mean, it's just an animal that just rolls around in its slop. And I mean, if y'all smell a pig too, they don't smell the best either. So, so the, he goes out and works. So just think about that. Think about that idea of the shame. Doing what is shameful. He's already shamed his father. There was nothing more shameful you could do to your father than do what he did. And there's nothing more shameful to work at than to work where he's working. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, in other words, when he's like, man, I'm an idiot. Okay, let me tell you something. Sin makes us stupid. It makes us dumb. When we're not in the word, when we're not pursuing Christ, whether you're a Christian or not, like it's going to make us dumb because we're going to just be focused on, you know, all these other things in the world. We're not going to be focused on what's above. We're going to be, you know, overthinking and overly anxious and all about stuff all the time. Things that we create for ourselves because it makes us dumb. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Because in the, the verse before that, it said that he longed for the pods that the pigs ate. For pig food. He wanted to eat that stuff. That's the desperation. That's the shame he was brought to. Some of you here are discouraged because your kids are in that same position. Or your grandkids are in that position. Or they're at the bottom of the barrel. And you're just scared. And you hurt. Because you just want them to come home. You're not alone. There's a father in this story who's enduring the same thing that you are. Then he said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be, to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he comes up with his confession speech. And, you know, he's thinking about, all right, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going I'm to say this. I'm just going to lay it out here and just let me be a servant. Just let me just go and live in one of these nearby houses and just to serve. Just so that at least I can have something to eat. Just something to eat. But I think in a way here we do see a humble confession. We, we see his point where he realizes what he has done. He realizes the weight of it, the effect of it. And he, he, he practices his whole speech and says he's going to go and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Sinned against heaven before you. I talked about the kid, your kids 
or grandkids being at the end of your rope. Maybe you are the one that's at the end of your rope today. Maybe you are the one who has been neglected. Maybe you, you were abused. You weren't celebrated by your dad. Maybe your dad was a raging alcoholic. And as another story that I had sent to me this week, you lay in your bed at night and when you heard the truck coming, you were scared to death because you knew who was coming in. Maybe that's you. And that has hindered the way that you view the fatherhood of God to such a degree that you're at the end of your rope and you're longing for intimacy. You're longing to be fully known and fully loved. C.S. Lewis said this, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical explanation is that we were made for another world. Let's correlate that to what we're talking about. And not just made for another world, but made for another dad. Whether you have a great dad or a terrible one, or you don't even know who your dad is, you, regardless of those circumstances, were made for another dad. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. And I would argue this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. So different than what he thought, isn't it? Man, his expectations were just destroyed in that one verse of what he thought was going to happen. He thought, man, I'll just work my way back up. But his father had a different plan. We have perceived expectations about God because of our fathers. And maybe, like I said a minute ago, you view God the way that you viewed your dad coming in with the truck. Because you knew he was coming in drunk, ready to fight. Maybe you viewed him because of a dad who time and time again chose drugs and crime and violence over you. Or maybe you view him like someone who took a great dad away from you. It was my dilemma. That was my issue. That I looked at God as someone who took a great dad away from me. Or maybe you view him as such a good father, but you're just ashamed because of the decision of your own kids. That you wonder your own self, have I, have I been a good enough dad? Have I done what I needed to do? And time and time again, you second guess. And so the father could, was there himself. We expect God, I think, sometimes to see our brokenness and to be ashamed of us, don't we? Father or not, just a universal Christian truth here. We expect that when we repent and go to God, that He's not going to be happy. That He's going to be sitting on the porch waiting. And when we get to the porch and say, where you been? Y'all been there, right? 
Where you been? I know what you've been doing. We expect a whipping. You know, maybe sometimes we will get a whipping. Sometimes we need a whipping. God does discipline His children. But so much we expect God to deal harshly with us. And we expect His wrath. Because we know. Man, there's so many people that they're just ignorant of this and they just like to just pretend it's not there. But if you really sit there, you know that there's some type of wrath that you deserve. There's some type of punishment that you deserve. And he goes home and he finds something totally different. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Still doubtful of his father's love, he continues to rehearse his I'm sorry speech. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And his dad totally ignores him. And he calls upon the servants. And he clothes him with his own possessions. Let's go back to the Jewish culture here. Jewish men, fathers, did not do these things. What he has, had done to his dad was punishable by death. Punishable by death. And another thing, Jewish men don't run. That is extremely shameful. But this father took that shame upon himself and ran. There's more shame he puts upon himself. At great cost to himself, the father restores the son. At great cost to himself. He takes his own robe. What did he say? He said the best robe. His own robe, he gives it to him. Rings and shoes, he's given him his own stuff here. For this my son was lost. He was dead and he is alive again. Bad dads inflict shame, but the greatest dad absorbs it. There's such a practical note right there for us, for all of us men out here who are dads or who will be be dads, to take this truth seriously, but there's such a huge spiritual part of this. For some of you who have been abused, neglected, and all those things we talked about earlier, who, who you've been infli- had shame inflicted upon you by your dad, the greatest dad absorbs it. And here he absorbs it. This father absorbs his shame. Another thing, bad dads walk away, don't they? They walk away. But the best dad runs toward. Here we see the father again, running to his kids. He felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Another thing, just just quickly, is is they talked about a, a fattened calf. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. This was extremely rare. Okay, extremely rare to find the fattened calf and kill it. And for such a situation like this, there was going to be some religious people pretty angry about it. As you'll see in the rest of the passage, you can read it for yourself. The elder brother who stayed there, who did everything right, who could have exercised his legal right, took the inheritance and left himself. 
he refused and would not go into the party because he began to look at himself, look at his own religious resume, rather than rejoicing with his father over a lost son who had come home. And so we see here the party commences. They have this big party. He doesn't want to go in. But all that, all this, all this passage to say is that if you're here today and you didn't have a father who ran to you and embraced you and kissed you, if you didn't have a father who bore shame for you, if you didn't have a father who bore stress for you and pain and suffering for you, there was a greater father that you were made for. Who does? At the cross, we see our king, we see our Christ who became sin, who knew no sin. We see Jesus, who reconciles us to God, who bears our sin, who bears our shame, who bears our regret, who bears all the things we've done wrong, who bears our anxiety and worry, who bears all these things and gives us, not only bears those things, but gives us His perfection, His beauty, His righteousness, and His relationship with the Father. God, remember what He said on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was forsaken, you will never be forsaken. Maybe you've had a great dad. And you're here today and you're just like, well, you know, my dad's pretty, pretty cool. Um, so this is kind of awkward. Maybe your view of your dad, of, of how good your dad is, has distracted you from the fatherhood of God. That you just don't think about it. But it just doesn't really ever pop up. Even though that's how Jesus told us to pray. Father. That is a profound word that we could use to God. Don't miss it. 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 2 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when our Father appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That literally means by whom we cry, Daddy. That we can look at God and call Him Dad. How deep the Father's love for us. And if you're here today longing for a good, good Father, there's one waiting on His porch. Come home. Come home. If you are a good dad, and you were just so lost because of your kids. There's another dad who's felt your pain too. Who knows what it's like. Go to him. And so uh, Tyler's going to come up. And I want to just. I want to read this passage just all at once. One more time. And we'll pray. And we're going to worship some more. But I want us to leave here today with all from this passage is knowing that God is the best dad we could ever want or hope for. And that he is a dad ready to run and to embrace us and kiss us as his children.
no matter what. There wasn't anything worse this kid could have done. Nothing worse. And so wherever you are, know that your sin is not too much to come home to God with. So I'm going to read this passage one more time. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that through Jesus we can know you as our good, good Father. Lord, I thank you that despite our past, despite things that have been done to us, despite things that have been done by us, that your grace abounds. And I thank you that you are a Father who will run to us and if we are in Christ, if we know you, God, you have ran to us. And we've, we've been embraced by you. We've been kissed by you. And you've taken on our shame and you've given us your beauty and your perfection and your righteousness. We thank you for that. God, I pray for those here who they struggle with seeing you as a good, good father because of their circumstances, because of where they've been. God, I pray that they would meet with you in a powerful way today. God, that they would come to know you as Abba Father. God, I pray for those parents who, God, they feel alone. They're distracted by thoughts of what they've done wrong. God, I pray that you would remind them that likewise, just as they have suffered, so you have suffered. And just as they have been sinned against time after time, so you have been sinned against time after time. Remind them that they're not alone. God, I pray for kids in this room who need to repent and need to return home. Who need to confess to their parents. Who need to be reconciled with their parents. God, I pray that you would perform that miracle today. God, that they would repent before you and that they would turn to repent before their parents. 
and that they would love and honor them knowing the deep, deep love they have for them. Thank you that we can pray, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God, may you be glorified in us. And may every day, may we feel the weight of this beautiful and glorious state that we are in. That we are children of God. Thank you, Father. I love you. And we ask it in your name.